0: Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Woke Blokes Podcast. We are coming to you live from the Gold Coast, Queensland. Listeners of the show may have heard me and Nick banging on probably more than we think, to be honest, about golf and about how we're going to be heading off on a golf trip to the Gold Coast soon. Well, we are here, Nico, up on the Gold Coast. We how are you feeling? I you're
1: glowing at the minute. I am glowing. I've just come out of an hour and a half. It wasn't meant to be an hour and a half, an hour and a half uh, acupuncture treatment. So, um, yeah, just just energetically, I guess I'm balanced, you could say um and yeah we're, we're on the gold coast with sga um who we went to vietnam with and and chased all that dong with um they put up a <laughs> put up a, a great event over there um so we're here on the gold coast and i don't know we've played two events uh, what, how have those two events gone Ask i, I don't know um Yeah, I heard there were two different... Well, 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 that's the bloke organising it. Okay, good idea. Matt Pitt, Matt Pitt, Matt Pitt, welcome. Uh, Founder of SGA, um, all-round absolute legend of a bloke. Probably the biggest response to one of the podcasts we've had was your episode earlier, so I thought, we're here with you again, why not uh, make the most of it? So, can you just tell listeners how the first two events have gone?
2: Thank you, Nico. Thank you, Ryan. First, I wanna know, unless if you change the subject quickly, I'll get the I'll get the message. Chasing Dong in Vietnam.
0: What, <laughs> what? well me so let me explain. I think I've showed this in the podcast it's before, bad. Matt. But we are uh, me and Nick, we'd obviously booked the event to go over to Vietnam to da Nang. Um, I'd never been before. And so Nick said on one afternoon, hey, come down to Mornington, we'll go to the local flight center. And we'll, you know, book the flights and, we'll, you know, we'll work all the stuff out. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds fun. And so we're in a flight center. We've got this, this lady serving us. And we're already, you know, we're booking a golf trip. We're we're banters going on, joking. The girl's laughing at some, shaking her head at some other stuff. And I genuinely looked to Nick because I didn't know with innocent little baby dear eyes. And I said mm-hmm. to Nick, hey, what's the currency in Vietnam and I'll never forget Nick's face ever, because it lit up. And he's he grew about a foot and he has he said, the dong.
1: And I turned to the lady in
0: front, and I'm like, is he joking? She goes, No, it's the Vietnamese dong. Thus started months of dong jokes. And we even entered our team name for this current event as like the Dong Hunters or something. But we just got disallowed, I think, at the the gatekeeper. Yeah, it didn't, didn't make it past the sensors, so.
1: I wasn't
2: uh, in uh, that. I didn't censor that. If, uh,
1: if you if you like if it. you listen to every podcast from when we booked our flight, we we had to work diligently to pull ourselves up and to say, look, we, we can't keep making all these dong jokes. On, on, on <laughs> we on jump on we and,
0: jump on Zoom like this before record, and then we'd start making dong jokes, and we'd be like, all right, let's just get it out of our system, and then we'll press <laughs> record and talk about mental health. Okay. <laughs> Right, so I've really triggered you back into your dong universe. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> dong
1: universe. Um, <laughs> so before we guys. get cracking, I've, I've just had about an hour and a half of contemplation, and I thought we'd get the ball rolling. I want to know. I'm going to put you both on the spot. You win it. You win a competition, all expenses paid. You can go anywhere in the world and play any course. Who's your <laughs> four board? Who, 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 you, who are your three other players? Oh, it's you Brian. and three others. No, and no, what no. course are you playing? Us? Where are you going? Well, I'm
0: I'm split because as you said that, I automatically split in two halves, and I'm like, you think of like, oh, who's the famous golfers or you know these, you know, celebrity characters that I play with, and I immediately went, you know, I'd rather just play with my mates. So I'm like, yeah. you, Nick, my mate Maddie, and then I'm trying to think of the, of the fourth ball in that. To be honest,
1: okay. And what course are we playing? Augusta's what do you have to think about that? Matt? Oliver,
0: think. You What's your four ball, Matty? Matty Oliver,
1: think.
2: What do you got? Okay, I got course first, Augusta National. Oh, uh, is
1: the and, and you're having dinner, and you see so you're there with the people, so you're having dinner and drinks with them afterwards. I Everything. Mean, it's not just golf. So, uh, Augusta. So, but
2: is it Augusta? Yeah, it triggered me into into I I the first golf tournament I watched was the '86 US Masters, which was unbelievable. So that's all the mm. golf people know. Jack Nicholas six on the back nine at age forty and hadn't won one for six years, beat Greg Norman by a shot, do bogey the and, uh just uh, and that just got me. That got me into golf, and I watch the Masters every year. So and of course it's it's incredibly exclusive. You can't get on there. I've played St Andrews, so that was on the list. That's been ticked. Yeah. So it would be Augusta National, and Bobby Jones would be there. I'd be. Delighted to have a game of golf with Bobby Jones. Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: So we're that going dead is... or alive
1: now, are we? And uh, no, That was no, my I next mean, question.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. So, I was thinking more alive, but... Um, oh,
2: sorry. Any. I thought it was any. Right. Okay. So no. Leonardo da Vinci's coming off the list. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm a bit... um <laughs> Da Vinci short
2: game. He could, he could do anything. It's like Jesus was way cool. He could do anything. Da Vinci oh, Jesus.
0: That's great. one off my list. Oh, for God's yeah, sake, we're feeling restricted I'm, here. I'm,
2: Leo Uh, Buddha's off my list. (laughs) He would have been a scratch marker or better. He was a freak at everything. Oh, okay. (laughs) Living folks, but anyone.
1: Yeah. Oh,
2: God. All right. Well, well, you two go. I'm going
1: to go St. Andrews because I haven't played there. I'm taking first cap off the rank. I'd like to welcome to the T all the way from being an SGA ambassador. And from hailing from Melbourne via St Andrews Beach, who are we going with, Maddie? You're going with Andy it. Haven't you already played with him?
2: We played I have, and West that's East why East. that's why
1: he's first cab off the rank because he <laughs> is the absolute best person I've ever played golf with. He's, and a team, he's just a, he just He's he's Andy. If you're listening, I'm sorry, you're not that great at golf. Um, well, he's but, pretty good now, He's
2: he's down to five. He's, he's, six,
1: he's worked really hard. Wow. Said, I, I had him often. when he was at, I he was about fifteen, I think. So, um, and he was just an absolute pleasure to play with. Yeah. Um, number two, just because of r- my recent love affair with him, Victor Hovland is is getting a Guernsey uh, on the tee, and rounding it off, Jeff ogilvy is uh-huh. Ogilvy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh sorry, House, you didn't make the cut. Um and I've got my own sort of ball, I don't care. Me either. I thought about that as a that was about balance. It was about <laughs> I- a bit of humour. Bill Murray is the first emergency as well.
2: Yeah, he go he go all right. He, well, they're all golf people. These folks, they all love the game, and yeah. they understand the traditions and the etiquette of the game. And and uh, yeah, that's. I good. think the the, good. the
1: dynamic would be amazing. Yeah. Jeff would offer, um, you know, about the course architecture and all that sort of stuff. Andy and. and Victor, the, the humour to be bouncing. Victor would obviously you know, bring the professional thought of it to it. So I just think it's a ripper four ball.
2: Well, we uh, take the approach of trying to have fun with our golf. You know, it's our leisure time. It's our relaxation time. It's time to spend with friends and enjoy ourselves. So I'm on board with you, Nico. And I think right. um, considering you've just ditched him, I'd probably make Ryan my Blaster, right?
1: <laughs> off the bench,
0: I'm coming off the bench and join a Pittsburgh.
1: Look, uh, Ryan only didn't make the cut because I play with him often, and I just enjoy it so much. Um, yeah, I probably, I probably have regrets for not taking your house. If that makes you feel any better, I'd be sitting there I'd later feel good on. Either
0: way, mate, it's fine.
1: And and we, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have that shared memory to reflect back on, but. You know, so be it. So be it. Why don't we see if we can
2: get him to keep digging the hole a bit deeper.
0: Right?
1: <laughs> Look, part of, part of it as well is that, uh, I don't know, Matt, who, who how the first two rounds go up here? Who um... uh, Well,
2: our, our experience is different to yours. We don't get to hit a ball. It's a real tease for us because we're running the tournament and everyone's out having fun playing golf.
1: Yeah, but, but um, so so the eight-grade the eight winners, though, over the last two days and the best scores of the last... Look, I've got 127 um, golfers
2: here. I can't be too focused on I know that Ryan had a You're the presenter, you present them. So who who, Ryan might have been in the in the in on the podium yesterday in his grade. All right. Can someone yeah, Yeah, the the highest spot on the um, podium? A lot of the other just
1: sort of things blur together. Ryan, can you, you're on the controls. Can you just mute Matt? So I won the first Damn. day with 40 <laughs> points. <laughs> um, I'll just put it out there straight off the bat. And Hus, uh has won yesterday. So with with 37 points, you have a lazy 74 with a off a past 70 course four over. So. Well done. But you know what? We're having a great time,
0: Matty Pitt. You know, we've got a, I've had, you spoke about, you know, golf about having fun in the first two rounds, obviously um, meeting a bunch of new people and being able to spend, you know, four and a half, five hours with them. That's on the course, let alone, you know, outside of that. Um, It's just, it's a wonderful thing that that you're running here at SGA and it's a great group of people.
2: Look, it's interesting. A lot of friends come here. We'll get groups of, of, you know, two, four, eight, sometimes 12 mates all coming to the tournament. But as you say, part of the beauty of what happens is friendships that get formed. So we got to do the draws, which is an enormous job. Mick, who's on our team, has, has worked so hard to do the draws. And we've often talked about things like in the first round of the tournament, do a draw where no one plays with anyone they know. Start the tournament with people meeting new people and then what that, that fosters a, a beginning of the opportunity for people to make new mates. And then you see these friendships evolve and develop through the course of the week. So... Some of the favourite parts, you know. Yes, the the, the logistics has, have, have flowed relatively smoothly. The golf courses have been great. People have enjoyed themselves. What's the biggest success we've seen? People getting together here, having fun, who met at this tournament in past years.
1: So. The, oh, I was, was beside the... myself when I heard Gav Doran was here. Like, and and. We went out for dinner the other night and caught up, and and you know he was introducing me to all these people he knows because you know he's he's a little bit social, yeah, and tends to know everyone. All right, well here we go. Let's let's get things ticking. A story
2: was told to us a couple of nights ago by a guy called Flash, Flash White, and he said, uh, his I think his daughter had been very ill. He'd lost his way. He'd turned alcoholic. His life was a mess. He was sitting on the couch drinking most of the day. This is six or seven years ago. And he he said his wife said, go and play this golf tournament. He didn't know anyone here. She booked him into the event. Uh, He was in contact with my wife, Sally, and he told me that she looked after him. He said, I don't know how to do the online booking. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't don't know how much to pay. I laughed and said, Sally was would have been right there helping you out at that moment. <laughs> and he said she really looked after him and then he came to the tournament. I think it might have been 2.16. He said he was halfway here in a train and he thought about turning around and going home, but he came. Wow. And he met Sally and she welcomed him. She remembered him. They had a lovely conversation. And then he was introduced to Gav Doran and Ian Steer and they took him out to dinner that night. And he made new friends immediately. I
1: reckon I was there because I was here for that 2016 one.
2: There we go. Well, you were, You can yeah. take some responsibility. And he told us that uh, he had a brilliant week. He went home again afterwards and his life was a bit better. And that experience has been a trigger point for him turning himself around from where, where he'd been in a really dark place. And now he comes to this event every single year and he's, he's got a whole bunch of friends that he's made here. So that's um you know i've been reminded this week by mick that's that's it's a lot of hard work running this event and we have the opportunity to to, you know really be challenged but they're the things that come out of this that are really satisfying when we see friendships and and people
1: this this was a huge huge part of my recovery you know i started with sga 2011 played a couple of events and then really committed in 2012 to playing every event and and, and I wanted my my goal was to win the order of merit. And so, um, committing, you know, I sort of started doing my work about 2008, 2009, but I hadn't sort of, uh, I was pretty isolated still. So, a sense of belonging and connection was, was still sort of the missing link. And that's what FDA gave me. And I went to every single event. Um, and, you know, just the, the blokes that you meet, I started going on the Tasmania trips, the Bush Ranger trips, up the Murray, and yeah, you, know, you can't click with everybody because it's, that's the beauty of this. That all types oh, it's turn good. up. Yeah.
0: Eh? yeah. It's and,
1: about finding- it was, yeah, it was just it was just great for, for my development and that sense of belonging and camaraderie. And obviously, you know, when we unfortunately had to go to neil's funeral like the amount of sda faces that was there was just like wow so yeah it, it is on us on the surface it's, it's a golf trip but but you know underneath it it's it's it has a profound effect on people
2: and we take pride in in aiming to create the opportunity for those kind of positive connections to take place that's the real um you know added benefit of the thing that we do so yeah we yeah. Do. nico wet when did you get out of the military
1: oh I got out 2002 2001 2002 but then I I spiraled for eight or nine years so um Hmm. that's where I didn't know anything about mental health or
2: so what was the trigger for you to start turning that around what was there an event or something that happened where yeah
1: yeah it was when I couldn't open my front door that was um the, 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 my mind was so heavily and deeply distorted, and, and there was that much anxiety and depression um, that I, uh, my mind disabled my body, and I couldn't open the front door uh, because of the fear of everything that was out there. And, you know, it was sorry, you're talking about,
2: you're not talking about getting home, you're talking about leaving home and going out. Leaving
1: home. Yeah. yeah right. okay. I, so, agrophobia agor- is yeah. what, it, what it is. And it just, it just, it was like when Einstein, you know, used to go and sit in his garden and when he was trying to work on a math riddle and he couldn't do it and he'd just go and watch nature and he's, he, he'd said his mind would sort of reset. I had the same experience. It just, <clears throat> the irrationality of it, a fully grown adult male could not open a front door, had fine motor skills, hands, arms, you know, and I just was there and I'm like, this is not right. This is this is this. Is, so I created a little cloud, a break in the clouds, and a sort of bit of hope, bit of sun shone through, um, shone a bit of light on on things, I guess. And that's where I reached out and yeah started my journey back to back to yeah. You know, uh, I'm not back to forward to forward mm. to this this version of me. So, so you had an
2: epiphany where. Because when we're in it, you can't always see, you don't have perspective of who you are. And so that experience gave you the perspective where you realised, oh, my God, I'm at this low, low, low point where just leaving the building is... I think the way you you
0: described it before, Nick, was like, I think the way you said it was, well, if my mind is so powerful that this grown adult man with full faculties can't open the door, it can hold me back to this degree... Well, how much can it free me on the other side of the coin?
1: Yeah, I thought. I thought, what's it, if it's capable of disabling me to this degree? If I put some time and effort and energy into it and and learn how it functions, not in a scientific way, not in the prefrontal cortex and the, 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 but but in the way in which your perception creates your reality. Um, what's it capable of enabling me to do? And and it's enabled me to get myself into this position where i can help so many other people so very powerful oh. minds and, and it baffles me that people don't train them they leave them untrained and yeah. just, but they expect to be happy and to function well
2: so i'm curious because you guys work with people so i've got an amateur theory and i'm curious about your um, perspective on it but i think everyone's got their own solution It's about knowing yourself and understanding yourself and what triggers you either into negativity or positivity and then learning how to um, have that relationship with yourself and work with yourself to do positive things. So for me, we talked in the last podcast about how I learned that when I'm down, if I help other people, I get, well, I'm told it's an endorphin hit or something or other where that makes me feel better and so i can turn myself around by just doing little random acts of kindness and that works for me and each of us have our own uh buttons to press or trigger points or things that make us tick or that inspire us so i think that that learning process is about understanding yourself and how you work and and what is positive and powerful for you and then enabling it and recognising those things and making them part of your life. So yours are going to be different to mine, Nico, and our two are going yeah,
1: to be I, I, everybody I, I'd agree with that to a degree. Hass, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, the key you, you
0: see is working with ourselves, and that's probably the the common theme, and that does come in many different forms because of all that different experiences that have shaped who we are and how we react in certain situations. But working with ourselves, I mean, we're not in an adversarial relationship to parts of us and the way we act. Because when we are, you know, in these negative states, when we're isolating, when we're reactive and angry, we tend to hate ourselves or hate those parts of us that are present in the moment and want to hide them away from society and kind of banish them to the corners of our mind. And well, that's I, I, not... I, I was-
1: Could be just you and me, right? I no.
0: was going gonna- uh,
2: just to... A- all right, we're
0: good. Technical difficulties. You're back, Nick. Back.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep,
0: yeah, go for it as far as for a second.
1: I, I was just trying to support what you were saying, give an example. I was getting depressed at being depressed, and I was getting anxious at being anxious, and I was getting angry at being all of these emotions. So that adversarial relationship was compounding oh, what I was doing. It's,
0: it's a negative feedback loop, right? So let's say that I, you know, I get depressed and have these depressive periods, and when I'm in them, I'm completely resisting them. I don't want to be depressed anymore. I just want to go away, go away, go away. And that's when people turn to coping mechanisms like drinking drugs, you know, other people and all that kind of thing. But when I can see that this is a part of my psyche and my being that needs to be understood and then worked with, in your words, Maddie, then all of a sudden I'm not now fighting that part. Because that's what so many of us are doing. We're just wrestling ourselves. You know, or we're spla- the, the great analogy is like, you know, we're, we're splashing around in water like we're drowning, but the water's about that deep and we're just face down in it. We just sort of get out of it and have a bit of a look at what's going on. So, yeah, that's the first step. And it's uh, different for everyone, like you said, but the first step is, hey, let's understand these parts of us and work with them, not against them, not trying to make them go away. Anxiety is a big one, you know, we see with people. And I always say anxiety is like that little tug on the shirt where a part of us perceives there's some sort of threat in the environment. And so when we start to feel anxious, we're like slapping that thing away. We're like, go away. I don't want to feel anxious. Not now, not now. And the more that we do that, the greater the anxiety grows. And all of a sudden, we've got a giant beast that we're trying to deal with when all we could have done at first was understand it, work with it, understand what it perceives as a threat and work through that. And then these these small to medium problems don't become massive problems or even ongoing states that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. If um, you ignore,
1: if you if you ignore the anxiety, it's trying to deliver a message to you. And if you block it, saying "I'm not willing to receive that message," it's going to keep escalating, and until you finally go, "Ah, oh, I get the message," and that's that's really what happened with me. And it's 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 evidence again to you know things that run smoother when you work with the nature of it instead of against the nature of it. And, and the old Bruce Lee and golf's a great example. You've got to play with what you've got that day. If you start trying to fight your golf swing and you usually hit a draw and you've got to fade on the range, you've got to play a fade that day. And if you wrestle it, you're going to suck.
2: Oh, on anxiety, someone said to me once, anxiety is worrying about things you can't control.
1: Well, yeah, that's... Mm. anxiety is a perceived threat and it, it's we just everybody's hardwired to feel safe and secure so anxiety will perceive a threat where fear uh, will yeah anxiety perceives a threat where fear will see a threat right so they're very different and and this is this is coming back to psychological safety which is what we're very um, proactive with in helping people to start being more psychological looking after their own psychological safety in other words, having the key to their own happiness instead of giving their key away so often. So, I think it's very important that there's a big shift in in people starting to come into the awareness of that. And what you were saying before, Matty, was everyone has their own solution. I, I I see a lot of people get stuck, and so the problem's not what we think the problem is. The problem, the, this is, the, there's all it's all just resistance. There's all just things happening that we don't want to happen, things changing when we don't want things to change, things coming or going when we want them to stay or leave. That, that's, that's just the way things work. What the problem is is our aversion to the way things are happening, which is all out of our control. So then we start getting anxious about it.
2: Uh, I've got a story on this. Sorry.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, that's so why I you
2: apologise.
0: That's why you think damn this. Gather around, everyone. Mm.
2: All right. So uh, touching on some of the things that we've just talked about, um, lo- loving yourself is essential to being happy. If you're going to find a path to happiness, if you don't like who you are, you're really going to struggle to be happy.
1: No, you you can dislike some parts of who you are and what you do, but you need to love it all unconditionally.
2: That's right. And if you're inquisitive and curious and and want to strive to be a better person, then accepting all of who you are, the good bits and the bad bits, is is part of that. Um, And I've seen a few people struggle with that because they don't like themselves and... If you don't know yourself fully and accept who you are, then you're really going to struggle to like yourself. And if you're not being the person that you truly want to be, you're going to struggle to like yourself. But this can manifest itself in lots of different ways. So I had a an experience with my beautiful wife, Sally, where uh, we would mark around and twist self-deprecating humour and sometimes I would bowl into the opposite of self-deprecating humour where I'd say something absurd and pump up my own tyres. I can't even think of a good example. And she never liked it. It never sat well with her. And and so we, we talked about it and over a period of months we started pulling this thing apart and we reached the point where the reason she didn't like it was because her parents had taught all their kids to be humble mm. and to to not pump up their own tyres. And, in fact, Sally was a very talented entertainer and I learned after she died that she'd been the main person in the whole um, the theatre that she was involved in and she was the number one singer and actor and so there was a lot of opportunities and people were constantly telling her how amazing she was. And she'd been taught at a young age, to be humble and deflect and not take those things on board, and that carried through to the point where she didn't pat herself on the back and congratulate herself when she knew that she'd done something she was proud of. She was shying away from, from pride in herself, and that affected her self Image and how how she felt about herself, and this had carried through her whole life. So we talked this through and talked this through, and um she got there, and one day I said to her, You're awesome, and she went, Yes.
0: She received
2: it finally, and she was comfortable agreeing whereas she'd always felt very uncomfortable with things like that and she felt better better about herself and she was happier within herself because she was able to acknowledge the parts of herself that she liked and she was proud of. And that was a really significant, valuable learning journey for her.
1: It's just balance though, isn't it? It's just balance. We it's Don't be so humble that you, you disown sort of what it is that you, you're amazing at, but don't be so pumping of, up of your own size that it's, you're putting on this facade. It's just, I'm not saying you were doing that, but it's just, uh, it's just about being balanced. And, and uh, the, the pumping up the tires typically comes from insecurity. People who are insecure about certain parts of themselves or in certain aspects, they tend to, to try and develop that confidence and try yes. and feel more secure in itself. Um, yeah. So I love what you said before, many about being curious because they've, We did a whole episode on on know thyself, Um, and and it's about leading with curiosity and wonder instead of intellect, instead of I know you are this, and we're very big on teaching people beyond what people are projecting. If someone's not taking any um, compliments or or if they're being way overinflated in in their own sense of self, it's, it's instead of sitting there judging them and going, you should stop doing that, it's looking behind that and going, oh! And and so for the two of you to to do that, you know, within your relationship, is just wonderful, so healthy.
0: Oh, it's a, that's like a breakthrough moment. It's what we try and achieve with clients in session. You know, it's a breakthrough moment because in those moments we break free from the conditioning of our past. You know, what you're describing there is what we all have to a varying degree, and it's an early attachment imprint. You know, when we're young, with our relationship with our parents, we sacrifice our authenticity as a human being to maintain our attachment to them. And so, if my attachment is maintained by staying humble, then I carry that through into my adult years. And, and it, like Nick, it can work. It's on the other side of the coin. When I'm overinflating myself and being arrogant, you know, maybe that was required in those in those mainly on the golf course. Yeah,
2: yeah. You can talk to leading A-grades.
1: Yeah, um, (laughs) yeah, so it does an insecurity in me that that, um, I'm not sure how I'm going to play the next couple of days. Um, But it's interesting because it's it's the models that we're taught. And and for everyone listening, we need to really understand that, you know, we're all – taught how to operate within these models and what you noticed in Sally and what Sally noticed in you, you both sort of looked at each other, and, is this model still working for you? Is this model healthy? Is this model old and outdated? And can we, can we is it perhaps time to come up with a new model that suits this version of you? It may have worked with past versions of you, but it's, it's not working for this version of you.
2: Yes, and I I remember, look, there's several things we talked about here and it's just occurred to me there's a little learning that I found in a book once that ties together um, inquisitiveness, um, humility, and and probably, you know, wisdom. Uh, So I talked in the last podcast about Illusions, a very favourite book of mine, Mm. and it has lots of interesting ideas and learnings, and then late in the book you turn to a page and it says everything in this book may be wrong. (laughs) Mm. And it's a very important lesson. Mm. Uh, And for me it was everything I've learned may be wrong, Mm. which means if you are inquisitive and curious and want to keep learning, then you need to accept that you may know nothing at all. You need to accept that the things that other people know are true and the things that you have learned are not and that then requires a humility as well. Those things are kind of are kind of interconnected. Um, so I, I love that line because it reminds us to keep being curious and inquisitive and learn, and it reminds us to be humble about what we have learned because we might have taken all the wrong lessons the whole time. And if we're continuing to be inquisitive and learn,
0: you've got the opportunity to keep finding a new course. So, uh, and know, that's, 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 that's beautiful. It's. That's, that's, it's a beautiful teaching and you spoke you know earlier about anxiety and coming back to this this lack of control or feeling out of control and we cling to this idea of black and white thinking where you know i know this to be right i know this to be wrong um this is good this is bad and that's my set beliefs and anything that comes in and challenge that it's going to cause anxiety or anger this is where we see so much fucking arguing online and and all that kind of thing Whereas if we can, like that book says, remain more open and go, hey, this is maybe what I believe in this time, but I'm also very open to being wrong, then all of a sudden I can now converse with other human beings and other ideas, once again, like working with it, with the new idea, as opposed to wanting to fight it automatically because I have to be right. Because me and Nick have said a hundred times in this podcast, like that needing to be right is the ego just in full
1: force trying to protect itself. Yes. That's why I was so attracted to Buddhism because – it was it was the buddha said don't just follow this with blind faith actually take it away and challenge every aspect of it and and that's why we use it in in mind view because it's stood the test of time no one's no one's been able to crack it so to speak isn't that um, interesting though
0: it, that that's the scientific method you know the buddha's saying the same thing it's like here's what we have found to be true through science now mm. go and challenge that because every, everyone who tries to replicate an experiment is trying to prove the original experiment wrong because truth will stand all criticism. So Buddha was the OG scientist back in the day. Mm.
1: That's, yeah, yeah. Matt, I want to I wanna go into when I first asked you to come on this podcast again up here uh, and you said something that just stood out so beautifully. Um, in a this is this is this is where non duality worked, it it was beautiful in how sad it was, Uh, and things that aren't pretty can still be beautiful, if that makes sense. And and I had this, I I don't think it was a misconception, it was just, um, I, I said to you, I'd love you to come on, and you said, Oh, I don't know what people get out of listening to me talk, and I said, Well, they they love. Stories are uh, uh, from of triumph and uh, of overcoming adversity and challenges, and and you, you shared this amazing insight. Um, if you if you could share it again for us, that'd be that'd be great. You're talking about the going away. Recent... yeah,
2: yeah. Okay, so um... well, it was
1: about success. I said you, you it was a, and you said it's it's well, not quite successful on that level.
2: Um. I think the story you're talking about was when I had to go away and I didn't want to go. Is that is that what you're referring yeah. to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So, uh, an opportunity came up to go on a business trip to make contacts. Um, we run a golf enterprise and there's an extraordinary um, complex called Mission Hills in China. And uh, Sherry, one of our team, uh, is from China and has contacts there. So we had the opportunity to go and have meetings and inquire into putting a new tournament together and a few other things. And it was months ago that it was planned, and at the time I was like, oh, I don't really want to go. I've, I, and for me, I've got trips away, and I'm away from my kids. So this tournament this week, I don't see my kids for eight or nine days. Their auntie is with them, caring for them, and she's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Ree. Uh, They love her, and she adores them. But the more of these trips I make, the, I just I can't load too many in, and the china trip came up as an opportunity and i instantly was like i don't want to be away more i had a previous um golf tournament i've got this one and i looked at it and went the opportunities are significant if i don't go we'll miss all of them and if i go we might be able to get some some business opportunity so the calculus was yes it is definitely worth going on a rational level so months ago i made the decision okay i'll go and then as we got closer to it, I didn't, I just didn't want to go. On the day of departure, I think I had an evening flight and I was preparing to go. And I just started getting more and more wound up. And I don't get too wound up, I've, you know, I don't so. feel anxiety much. Um, you know, obviously, a bunch of the things that been through the last five years of affected who I am and how I operate and I just and I was feeling a lot of the emotion not necessarily understanding what was going on and I eventually realized I don't want to go and I'm going to get on a plane tonight and it reached the point where I threw up in my backyard and I've never had that before I was so my whole body was just all of my being was saying don't go there, mm. don't leave here. And uh, I never experienced anything like that. And it was weird to be going through it and not quite understanding it. But early on in it, I didn't realise what was happening. I thought maybe I was sick and I'd eaten something bad and I was just getting along with my day, but this whole thing was starting to take over my body. And then eventually I realised, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to get on the plane. Um, so that was... Yeah, that was quite a bizarre and bloody awful day um, and but interesting that it, I didn't even know what it was what was happening when it when it was starting to happen and I kind of figured it out and then you got to
1: mission Hills though
2: and... I got on the plane and went and and once I was gone I'm going and I I just it it, it all disappeared because I'm here now yeah. I'm in the moment and I can't change that and that stress and anxiety was behind me and now well we just go forward now and go and do what we've got to do and there's no point point in then you know if i made the decision i'm not getting on the plane i'm staying here okay that you know i ended up making the decision i'm going to go through with the trip and we've made a lot of commitments so it would have been very um it would have compromised the business significantly if i hadn't gone and then once i went it was fine
1: you know it just so there was that moment cool. that you shared with me. I'm, I'm really having to steer you in this direction, okay? Where you spoke about, so well Sally, I forgot, where, I about. the specific Sarah, Where you spoke about Sally and you being there by yourself, and because you and you've spent so much time away from Sally, and you, know, you said to, uh, "I promise that you know this is this business is going to get to a place oh, where we can be
2: that." oh sorry nico yes you're
1: all right okay but i love that story that precursor that's amazing and i think i think the two are linked by the way yes 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 they
2: are um starting the business is really challenging we worked so hard for so long and It made enough money to not abandon, but it didn't make much for a long time, and we worked really hard. And there was a couple of points along that uh, through a decade where Sally came to me and said, this is not worth it. You're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You know, life was work and family and kids. There was a bunch of my friends I hardly saw for years and years. Fortunately, I ran golf events and got to see some of them there. And, and there was two clear occasions where Sally came to me and said, that's enough. Let's abandon this and go and get a job. And and I, I knew it would work. And I said to her, it's going to work. I can see how it's going to work. Trust me, we're going to make this happen. And Sally put up with so much for so long. And at one point I said to her, the time will come when we will build this. We'll build a database. We'll have a whole lot of golfers, and people will want to see us, and we will get the opportunity to travel, and we will go to exotic, beautiful locations and visit places that have got golf courses, and and the payoff will come. Um, and now that's arrived, and these, you know, the trip was paid for to China, and there was five star hotels and. And uh, other opportunities like that come up. And now when they do, I don't take any joy in that at all. It hurts me because it has arrived and Sally should be here. Sally should be next to me enjoying, you know, what she deserved and that we knew was coming. And she did all the hard yards and then, now when I get to go on one of these trips, it just feels empty because of the goal was that we would be doing that together and, and that it's,
1: it
0: hasn't happened. So, yes.
1: That- and, and that's just not something that was even on my radar in that regard. And I'm not saying it should have been, but when you first spoke of it, it was just, bang, it was such a of course. That just makes perfect sense.
2: It, well, I mean, I didn't know about it earlier and, it, you know, this ties into the changing nature of the grief journey, you know. So a few years ago I didn't know this and it's only when these things started happening that I felt this enormous pull where Sally's not here. So my whole, I had looked forward to this. I looked forward to treating her to the opportunities to do things like this. It was it was something in our future that I I, I craved. And now that this has arrived and she's not here to enjoy it, it just, it's just, it's kind of empty. And um, so the,
1: but you don't know that that one's coming, you know, as you go through the. Do do you work in those moments to reconcile it though? Do you like we we talk, we call it doing the work and you can only do the work in the moment. Is that in those moments with your amazing self-awareness? and your emotional intelligence, in that moment, can you sort of hear yourself speaking of that internal dialogue? Can you observe where that's going, going on one level, yes, but on another level, it's it's not the current reality, so I really need to start shifting things around? No, I underthink it, actually.
2: I'm sad and I let myself be sad. Mm. That's it. Like it's sad, and the grief journey, you know, we talked before. <laughs> we talked the first time, and we could—I couldn't remember all the details. But there's uh, denial, bargaining, anger, mm, sadness, anger, yes. yeah. And uh, I had very little denial and bargaining, and not much anger, and heaps of sadness. We're all different how we run through those things. Different people get caught in different spots. Some of us, you know. Got you know we we just do things differently. Yeah. So for me now, they're just they're the marker points of sadness that are going to be with me, and I I have to embrace and accept that sadness. And so I let that come in. And if I, I cried this morning, you know I went back and had a look at the last podcast as I said, so I wouldn't repeat myself too much, and I still might, but I hadn't looked at that for a long time. And then I you know listened to some of the things we talked about, and I thought of sally and her children and i cried again today so that i don't
1: i don't overthink it nico it just i think sadness everyone, comes
2: everyone, and I, I, I let it happen
1: everyone who listened to that podcast cried. we cried in the podcast so um you yeah, certainly not alone in that uh, and i i don't want to harp on about it but from the perspective uh, of the hat that i wear and, and what ryan you know there was a there was an attachment formed many years ago that this will happen, and then the universe intervenes as it as it tends to. Yes. So in those moments, there's that opportunity there to surrender that attachment and to let go of that attachment to free yourself from that. Yes. So
2: this is this thing about realizing that I'm now arrived in a future where I'd imagine Sally with me. Mm. And, and it's I'm now in the present and she's not here and the sadness is there. So part of the grief journey as it's evolved is a dawning realisation about my changed relationship with the future. And this is something I've realised I wasn't aware of two years ago when we last spoke. So when we went through... The challenge of Sally having cancer. And we talked a lot about being in the moment. And we we adjusted our lives to just be present now because when we looked into the future, it was a nightmare. It was the abyss. And it mm. it was you could you can't operate. It was just mm. it was, we would cry and and we couldn't imagine anything. And we eventually realized we have to be present here now. And I used to say things to Sally like. Um, you know, she's worrying about what's going to happen when when she's not there and, and her kids are growing up without a mum. And I said to her, you're here now. You can love these kids now. You can teach these kids now. You can give these kids memories now. So we do that mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. because we don't know what tomorrow or next month or next year. We can't we, we can't live that now. It's mm-hmm. out there. We can do this now so we do what we can right now. And And so... That being in the moment then helped us get through, and after Sally died, it helped us get through. And I kind of stayed there for a long time. And then I didn't look into the future because there was a future planned with Sally, and I was able to be a good dad and get through everything by just being here today, now. And so I realised after a period of time that I became separated from the future. Because mm. there was future planned and it was all ripped away. So part of the grief journey was grieving the lost future. Yeah. Sally and I imagining grandkids. All those things that you imagine forward in your life with her, well, for me, mm. were gone. Mm. And um, so I avoided it. Now, I kind of became avoidant of the future and... And I had to grieve the loss of it as well, um, and so this this thing with you know feeling sick about going on the trip and part of it is being separated from the kids and part of it is Sally should be here and she's not. Well, that's landing in future that I'd planned that has been taken away, and I'm having to grieve it in the in the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, there's. What we we talk about suffering, depression, anxiety, anger, guilt, and and, and we we talk about necessary suffering, which is a lot of the processing that you've been doing, but then there's unnecessary suffering as well, and that's still holding on to what we think should be happening. And if you listen over to this again, you say, and Sally should be here, Sally should. And on one level, yes, in an idealistic world, yes, she she should be there, Um, but on another level, um, the reality is that as I said the universe has intervened and that's so that's creating some of that unnecessary suffering for you and that's creating that throwing out of balance and not being able to because we're talking about being here now and being the moment and this is where happiness and contentment exists and everything but we do need to be able to look forward at, at, at the future and start planting some things or planning some things or imagining things and whatnot and if if you have an aversion to that future because it's not what was organized then then that's you know that's going to create that detachment from from it, which which your experience which is you
2: know, and i'm learning yeah. about it as i go and i'm not beating yeah. up about it it i can't you know that it's an evolving journey and if you stay inquisitive and you don't feel guilty because you can't do it all and understand it all, and you're open to, to being aware about what you might learn as you go, and you recognise that you can't know it all, and and you change as a person over time, and the grief journey changes over time, that's, that, you know, that's really helped me to just remain um, open to understanding what's going on. It's not always clear it's not you know you're feeling the things and you're not always clear about it i remember someone else's grief i remember we're in the pandemic i've started having been through this looking at at things through the grief you know with the denial and negotiation anger and i remember looking at the protesters during lockdown in melbourne and then there was one point where there was this big protest, and and theoretically it became a super spreader event and just made everything worse. And the people were protesting against the lockdowns, and you know that, that they didn't, they weren't happy with how our community was managing the situation, and they arguably just made the whole thing worse at the time. And I saw people in denial, and I saw people bargaining, and I saw people who were angry. And I thought, you guys are grieving the loss of your freedom. And you haven't got to sadness and acceptance. You're stuck at the beginning of this thing and it's all just being manifest. you know, we're all in this pandemic, we're all stuck here, but this group of people hadn't got to to sort of sadness and acceptance and realizing this is just how it is. Yeah. Like- so
1: that they were still stuck in that and creating that unnecessary suffering for themselves.
0: Yeah. Yes, and And they're surrounded
1: and let go. Yeah, and they're worrying
0: about something that they can't control. It's totally outside of your control. We go through that grief with so many things. Like you know, many clients I go through this, and they realize they had, like all of us to a degree, a not ideal childhood, and they all of a sudden then have to grieve a childhood that they wish they had because they always we wanted things to be different. You know, I wish Mum had have shown me more love. I wish you know Dad didn't speak to me this way, and all that kind of thing, and. And I want to acknowledge what you said earlier, Matt. That you said, "Look, when the sadness comes, I let it in," and that is an important part of of the process as well. In conjunction with the, the I suppose the redesigning and look at your future now, which for very good reason you've been steering clear of because most men, especially, you know, we spoke about working with ourselves when sadness or whatever it is comes in, we just want to you know, push it away and keep it at bay. But and I've worked with there's this one client in particular. I'll kind of never forget, and it was um, she was working with the grief of her father dying, and he died 25 years ago because, and she would talk about at that time, as soon as it happened, you know, she just organized the funeral, look after the brother and the mother, and she just, the wheels were running for 25 years, and she never allowed herself to feel the grief and move through those steps at all. And, you know, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. You've got to feel this stuff and work through this stuff and go through the stages and not... um, You know try and push them away and 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 working against yourself and you know you only when doing that can we truly move through the other side and you're right we will change as a human being and as we come out through that grief and out the other side of it we're a different human being and and we we should be going through something like that
1: well but matt's Matt's next step is to is to start understanding which of the sadness is healthy and which of the sadness is unhealthy and and that's the the necessary and the unnecessary, and that's just part of the evolution. But but what's what's going to get met through and help him to continue to evolve is that mindset that I don't know it all. I don't have to be perfect. Um, I'm just turning up, and and I'm I'm just this eternal student. I'm just learning as I go, and I'm going to learn the hard way. Sometimes I'm going to learn through a lot of experience, and but but. Keeping that mind so open, which is what you do so well, Matt, uh, and serves you and your children so well, is is just it's, it's crucial. If you didn't have that, the rest wouldn't be available to you.
2: Thank you, Nico I, I, and Ryan. I'll I'm going to reflect on necessary and unnecessary sadness. Uh, Thanks very much. I probably need to be in the sadness before I can start
0: asking the question. So that's great. You no, do. Yeah, no, yeah. It's it's discernment, right? It's discernment. So yeah. for me, in my process, it was this one of fear and anxiety. And it's like, what is a rational fear and what is anxiety? Because they can feel very much the same. You know? Yes. So I would have situations like you were speaking about with a real bodily reaction and aversion to jumping on a plane and going somewhere and I had many events like that and I had to be in it to ask those questions and discern the rational fear and the unrational anxiety to a point now and you only know it's like going to school over and over again by feeling this crap where I'm like oh I actually shouldn't do that thing over there so I'm going to say no to it and I feel perfectly comfortable with that or discerning like, oh that's old anxiety worried about A, B, and C, what someone will think of me or that, and then moving forward despite of that anxiety. But only till we've been in it long enough do we create that discernment of what's necessary and unnecessary, as Nick would put it.
1: You can also um, look look backwards, though, like the old life gives you the lesson first and the test afterwards. So uh, from my experience, which, which you inquired about before, Matt, just being stuck and being unable to open the door, the amount of depression anxiety in I was still grieving um, my losing my army career which which I was really enjoying uh, I, but mostly I was grieving not being able to run anymore um, plus uh, plus all the other experiences of sexualized violence and, and all of that was adding into it but the grief extended and remains, until I let go of what I believed should have happened. And so I was in the reality of what would, should, and could happen instead of the reality of what is. And as soon as I entered the reality of what is, as fucking difficult as that was, I'm, I was able to move through it. And I could look back and say I'd, 80% of the suffering that I was in, the anxiety and depression, was self-made. It was unnecessary because mm. I didn't know how. It wasn't equipped. I didn't have the, the the tools to to start letting go, letting go, letting go, accepting, 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 yeah. uh, and freeing myself um, in that regard. I, I want to just ask
2: something Ryan touched on, talking about worrying about what other people think of you. How much do you guys encounter clients or people where that is a significant issue for them and- every
1: day?
0: It, like it I'm as close to hundred be- percent as we can get to. Right. <laughs> it, it must okay. be
1: it comes from I must be loved and liked. We have these three these three beliefs that form human nature. I must be loved and liked, I must get what I want, and I must live in this utopian perfect life. And that's where I get what I (laughs) want.
2: You're in real trouble if you're,
1: but that's that everyone's born with that money. And this is the thing as, so you will notice the kids, when you took the kids to the supermarket and they wanted a lolly and it's five o'clock, we're going to go home and have dinner. They would go into a mountain and have a tantrum. Okay. So they would go into suffering because dad doesn't love me. He's not giving me what I want. And so I'm not having the perfect experience yes and that that's a very healthy and appropriate response for a child to have because they have an underdeveloped brain that there's no self-managing or self-regulating in that state it comes at a certain age where we need to start transcending those three things and going right i've got to learn to appreciate and understand that some people are open my parameters are not wide enough to go some people are going to have a real issue with me. Some people are going to think, going to call me a name or do this, and and that's allowed to happen. The, there's an acceptance that that all will happen, and then you go deeper into it and go, I'm going to lose loved ones. I'm going to um, experience trauma and tragedy and everything, and that's allowed to happen as well, because it's it's so far out of my that's so far, out of my control. It, it has to be allowed to happen. Otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as you resist change, that's where we are going into suffering.
2: Um, yeah. Well, if you're worrying about things being perfect, you you need to ex- well, you're running into problems. If you can accept that the imperfection exists, that you're imperfect, and so is the rest of the world, then you're you're giving yourself a better than. But even the, interesting parado- the interesting paradox. The interesting paradox
0: is that we have this bias that. I, the things that I don't want to happen, I want them never to happen. And all the things that I want to happen should always be happening. And so we get disturbed if anything out of gets out of whack. But the funny thing is, if anyone ever got that, that would probably go insane within 24 hours. Right? So it's this one unconscious goal that we have, but it's not a goal worth we even want. Plus it's impossible in this life
1: anyway. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. the, it's the ego being too involved in. And once again, we, we don't want to get rid of the ego we don't want to have an egoectomy we just want to create and it's important for us to proactively develop a healthy ego and a healthy relationship with the ego and that's what it's all about and just when the ego you know it's working with the nature again. when the ego pops up and goes i want this to still be here i want that to happen or i want that to exist or i don't want that to exist that's that's where we sit in observation and we go you're doing it again aren't you okay cool no, no let's let's, let's let that go, go oh, come on God. It, was, it was magical it's just in this real sort of <laughs> uh, I was i was saying i was saying when the ego pops up we want to have a healthy relationship with it and learn to observe it and when it says i want this to exist or i don't want that to exist or i want this to happen or i don't want that to happen us to work with the nature of the ego and understand the ego and not not hate that it's doing it or wish that it would stop doing it but to go oh you're you're doing that again and that's okay that you're doing that but we're going to do things differently that's where you start being the ex- executive decision maker okay can we you flip you. out of this for a minute because i i want to pick your brain just quickly maddie one of the things i love most about speaking with you and you as a person is the, the philosophical way that you go about things. Hit us with some hit us with some philosophies that you know you speak about living living life like you play golf. What give us a couple of examples of that. Please, Socrates, in your okay, written. I've um P- things that people at home and listening could go, all right, they use that on the golf so balls, They Go like and
2: look up a Go and look up a few of the quotes from the Stoics. Uh, the Stoicism is really interesting because it delivers some of these kind of ideas, not worrying about things that you can't control, being mindful and aware of what you can control, focusing on those things. Um, there's a bunch of the Stoic quotes are so really wonderful. There's two things I want to say. There was something I overlooked in the last podcast. So the well, first thing is, uh, learning that I had through the journey of um, helping my kids. You were talking a, bit, a little bit about how kids are and this sort of thing. With the grief that we had to go through, um, the bottom line for me became I realised if the kids feel loved and safe, everything else is okay. So I do that and we hug each other and we tell each other that we love each other and i do my best to make them feel safe and that's been really valuable over this last four or five years and everything that we've gone through and then part of that is me dropping juggling balls everywhere and not beating myself up i realized when i was you know coping with losing sally and and looking after our kids this can't do it all it's too much um and so then I was able to understand and accept that and I made the loved and safe non-negotiables and then screen time, homework, chores, responsibilities, this is for the kids, a bunch of that stuff got missed left, right and centre. All the things that parents aspire to with their kids to sort of help them learn and grow, a diet for a long time after Sally's died the the cooking that I was doing wasn't great at all. and it's still not brilliant, but I had a crack at raising my game and trying to get fruit and vegetables into the kids. Um, but you can't do it all the time up with hundred percent perfection. can't be done. And so I mean one fortunate thing for me was prioritising what I, I knew was the most important things. And then accepting that not everything got done all the time and I didn't beat myself up or feel guilty about it. I just, I'm doing the best I can. We can't surrender,
1: do more. I'm,
2: I'm catching the, the loved and safe juggling balls. And if they end up eating junk
0: food, I just, okay, that ball got dropped today. That's, but that's okay. the one to catch out of all the balls. That's the most important one to catch. And mm-hmm. not just kids, the adults. We all need to feel yeah. loved and safe. It's such a significant thing. It had never occurred to me until we
2: went through all of this. And it's really huge because earlier in this conversation, I heard you guys referring to feelings of safety, and I've recognised with my kids that that's critical. So there's a really good lesson. There's a little piece of philosophy that's valuable in anyone's life or anyone you care about or in yourself. If you are feeling certain things or stress or anxiety uh, do you feel safe? Do you feel especially
1: loved? in a relationship? We tend to get hung up on everything and, and focused on what a person. You know, that's the ego again. The ego doesn't like difference, so we get hung up on what this person's doing that's different to what I and and I wish they'd do that. And why can't they put that away? And why can't all this very surface level icky picky stuff? And and when you when you simplify it to the degree that you have, and go, let's just help, you know. I have a responsibility to to just help this person to feel loved and safe. They have a responsibility to feel loved and safer than themselves. But um, I, you know, children don't really have that ability. But in adult relationships, but, but our job yeah.
2: as parents is to teach them and teach them, them. To yeah, them, yeah, exactly, and to, and to understand these things. Um, and then for them, it's just the feeling of that security that has a huge bearing on on how they are. So that's a big one. And then. Um, something I didn't touch on in the last podcast, which has been a really valuable um, philosophic understanding and another thing that I teach with the kids. So Sally um, said, be brave, be honest, be kind. And I talk about it a lot. I talked about it at this golf tournament. Um, But those three things are very simple pillars. And I talk with the kids about that. So be brave, be honest, be kind. That that sums up Sally. She was like that. She had a, mm. she had a great sense of humour and she was a super mom and very talented and many, many, many things. Um, but I've spoken to the kids about it when they're at school and they're having trouble if they're going to bully or this or that or, thing. you know, I said to my kids, you are allowed to judge people. And if you're unsure of what's going on and you're trying to figure out what's happening with this human in front of you, you can ask those three questions. And if the person in front of you is brave and courageous and they're honest and they're kind, they're one of us. They're, they're the good ones. Keep them. You want them around. And if you're dealing with someone who's disingenuous, who's dishonest, who's gutless, you know, who's unkind, you've got a bully in the schoolyard and you go on. there's two strikes there, then you can make a judgment about this person and realise they're not one of the people you want to be around and you could just remove yourself from there. And and it really... Boundary,
1: had, boundary it, setting.
2: Yeah, just giving the kids a reference, a connection back to their mother. Yeah. And a reference point for how to navigate life. Like as parents, our job is to teach the, our children how to be independent and make good decisions for themselves. You know, helicopter <laughs> parenting is... is continually worrying that your kid can't do it themselves and you've got to be there to micromanage everything, whereas what we're trying to do is teach them to make good choices so that when you are not there, they're making good decisions. So I was quite aware that what I was doing was giving them a reference point and a framework to make decisions for themselves and it was connected yeah. to their mum and it was three simple questions and we talk about it all the time at home and that that I hope helps them.
1: And, and it's, it's wonderful parenting and, and the focal point for you is is helping the kids in that way and developing them in that sense. Do you add to that framework um, that we can be compassionate for those people, you know, people who are unkind, yes, we can judge them and, and go, all right, I, I don't need to associate or hang out with you, but I can also employ some empathy and compassion that something's going on within you or hurt people hurt people. So something's going on within you and that's not a, a way to justify what you're doing or to accept that behaviour. But I can still set my boundaries, but I can do it with compassion.
2: I don't teach my kids that yet because I'm still battling to learn that one and incorporate that wisdom for me. Like I've recognised in myself when you've got an adversarial situation with another person or someone's done something that's hurtful to you, I I am slowly learning that one, Nico, that... that, um, giving them compassion is the happiest way for me to find a way forward in that difficult relationship, whatever it may be.
1: That's, that's so I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, thank you for reminding me. I'm really giving it a go. And once I've locked it in and, and sorted it out for myself, I think you do it. it the lessons for do it. There's, for the
1: kids. there's an example of a person that was in our life, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but they had, they had some responsibilities to you and to me to, to much less of a degree and you, you'd also had money involved in the process. And, and we spoke of this person and you spoke very compassionately about them. You said, oh, you know, they're doing their thing, they're in what they're in. And so it sort of shocks me a little bit.
2: Well, I'm, say, but- I'm in the middle of learning it and that experience helped me in that journey of learning and understanding that. So I'm, okay.
1: hopefully I'll keep making a bit of headway in
0: that direction.
1: Yes. I think you're doing
0: amazing. So, um, yeah, me too. Hey, just to loop this around, have you got any more points you want to touch just, on, Nico? Can
2: I say something, please? You guys may be terrible judges of character, so who knows? <laughs> you, that's very kind. Hey, we, this all might be wrong.
1: Exactly. <laughs> hey, Everything on this hey, podcast don't, wrong. Don't be self-deprecating. Don't, don't you know.
0: <laughs> You you know that I don't struggle with self-deprecation, Nick. <laughs> not at all. Not at I, I want to, you know, tie this back around towards the start. We we're talking about SGA and getting a group together, and you spoke about the story of, of Flash there. And, you know, not 15 minutes before we jumped on this Zoom call, I got a voice message from someone I hadn't heard of in a long time, and it was a guy, and they were literally talking about how they were feeling lost and they're isolating themselves and they don't know how to get out of this rut and whatnot. And I think it's so important for our listeners to hear, whether it's a social golf group like SGA, whether it's something else, but Nick used the word at the start, belonging. One of the ways that we can start to get out of our own head, get out of these ruts to stop isolating is to take the oftentimes scary step. You spoke about uh, Flash wanting to turn around when they were halfway on the train, but going forward... And all human beings, but especially us men in this day and age, we crave community, we crave these connections and it can be so beneficial to our mental and emotional health that, you know, if it's something you haven't thought of or something that you've maybe wanted to do but keep sabotaging and not doing it, please find a group of other people that you can go around with because it can have just just a massive impact on your life. I just I
2: could not agree more. Connection and community and, yes, if you... I've always wanted to throw a Frisbee or ride a bike or or you name it. If there's something you're passionate about, there are other people doing it. And if you go and hook and they're usually, they're really welcoming of you joining their community and it can give you a connection into things that is so, so valuable. Well said, Ryan, I couldn't agree more. So that's really, and sometimes it's, we put the blocks in our own way and we stop ourselves from doing things. And if we just, get out there and find other people who are into things like us. And that leads into other community and connection. It can be super valuable.
1: That's yes. that paradox again. That's the anxiety is trying to keep us safe and protect us. But what we actually need is the connection and to be outside of that comfort zone. So, yeah. you know, having awareness is the first step to change. And, and you know, that self-inquiry and that, that, understanding your own nature and understanding how we operate and understanding the role of anxiety, understanding the role of depression or sadness, um, understanding the roles of all these things is so important because when you're sitting on a train going to this golf tournament with 130 people you've never met, it's going to come, you're going to feel that anxiety. And it's for you to, in that moment, do the work and self-soothe and reconcile it and go, I am safe. I'm, nothing out there is trying to kill me. It's just, I'm going, reality is, I'm going to interact with other human beings and play some golf. And, and I don't know, it's the unknown, but the only way I can know it is to go through it. So take a few deep breaths and keep moving forward. And a, a big thing for us is uh, the five basic human needs. Feeling empowered, that's an empowered decision. I'm, I'm going to move through this. So I'm going to into this. Belonging hanging out with people freedom so I'm, I'm free to sit here and observe and choose what i'm saying and doing and how i'm thinking and feeling fun gotta laugh at ourselves gotta lighten things up that's why this podcast takes the piss quite often more often than not uh and survival so that's that's that love and safety that you're talking about so if you can just if you can tick those five things up, and they're your responsibilities, yeah? you've got to put yourself in positions where you've got that belong. So if you can just focus on those five little things, it's going to take you far.
0: here yeah. Maddie? it's been an absolute pleasure having you on again. Uh, for those that want to hear more of your story, jump back to episode number 43, which is around two years ago that Maddie Pitt was first on. We highly, highly encourage you to listen to that. If you're a golfer in Australia, look up Social Golf Australia. Um, Check them out and if this is resonating then please come along to the next event and I want to finish up we spoke about discernment in this wide ranging chat that we just had. If you were to to discern Matty Pitt who you're going to crown as the A grade champion come Friday evening, who's it going to be? Don't sit on the fence, who's it going to be?
2: I have no control over that, Ryan. Where's your crystal ball?
1: Where's your crystal ball? Play the game, bitch! Play the game. Uh, (laughs) You're sitting up there in your swank penthouse. Just give us. I
2: would advise you, gentlemen, to take the learnings of this conversation and apply them to the next two days. He's
0: turned the the tables. He's turned the tables on us. Uh, A dose of our own medicine.
1: Uh, so it's, it's emotional intelligence or something. Yeah, all right. I, I, all right. I, I know you're
2: trying to wrap this up. I'm going to say one more thing
1: because you guys
2: are in a competition right now and you're trying to get the best out of yourselves to compete in a tournament, and that's great. Uh, I teach my kids that when they compete, whether they're doing sport or having a game of cards or computer games or whatever, and this is something we try to talk with our our customers about, so you two are customers of mine right now this week, always thank your opponent after the contest. And there's a very, very good reason. And so we're talking about sportsmanship here. Whether you've Mm -hmm. won or lost the trophy, It's a little bit here or there. If your challenge has been to try and get the best out of yourself in the competition, you're competing with yourself to try and achieve that. You can't control what other people do. So if someone else played better and they got a better score than you, so be it. Mm -hmm. But you must thank your opponent after the competition. And the reason is without them turning up to come and compete with you, you had no game. You're indebted to them. So whether or not whoever won the thing is really by the by, it's saying thank you to your co-competitor. Be grateful. Being finished absolutely. Be grateful to them because you got you got <laughs> the competition. You got, no, you got no game without them um, coming to uh, to play with you. So learning how to learning how to. I don't learn really learn mind who you. One of you guys might win a trophy, and someone else might. I hope they're they're sporting and they're gracious and that they thank their opponents and that they've had an enjoyable week making connections with people.
1: <laughs> it's it's
2: That's
1: a l- Learning to be a good winner, but learning to be a good loser. Absolutely. Good they're,
2: they're, they're the two sides of the same coin. Yes.
1: I heard a, someone was talking about one of the LPGA women and he said her philosophy is train like it's the most important thing in the world, but play like it doesn't matter at all. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, I think that's a wonderful philosophy so alright well we're going to go train like it means everything Because be <laughs> <an equivalent. laughs> thank you Maddie. thank you Nick
0: thank you everyone who has tuned in we will see you on the next episode peace out thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast please don't forget to subscribe to the show also leave us a 5 star rating we thank you so much and we'll see you all next time yeah.